Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. What are we chatting about today, Fred? Well, we happen to get a couple of questions. Nice. Uh, and so we, we may be able to cover one or both, or we'll get back to the other one. But uh, they were both questions. I thought, oh, this is a question for Chris. Oh. Because then I don't have to go look it up. Oh. When I did, anyway, I got, I got answers back to them. But it was a, um, uh, a question that was related to, um, they got some field data, and they know when the units were shipped and they know when the person returned them or you know called to, to return them so they have kind of the class what i consider classic field data information and sometimes that's all you know if even that and the question was is that based on their product and the way it's used is that the operating time um, was also important and they knew that a good number of failure mechanisms, whatever, were related to its runtime, basically, not how long it's been in existence. Right. And it didn't sound like they had meters or a system that would track operating time. You know, like big generators usually have a, a clock on them of some sort or t that tallies how many hours they run, um, stuff like that. And he said, well, and he used the word correlation, which confused me, but I imagine they're doing some kind of a uh, regression analysis that they can deal with the ships and returns and s sort out time to failure distribution, stuff like that. But how do I convert that to operations time? And without really knowing when it was in service or if it was a heavy use application or a light use, he, he didn't get into all those details, but I've been down that road a couple of times. Um, I don't know. How would you go about responding to that? I'm quite sure I'm going to learn something here. But uh, <laughs> compare I've done to something I similar for um, automobile um, uh, okay. uh, data, where especially where it's warranty data. So that so that what that means is that vehicles that have had to have any issues addressed during their warranty period typically get it get done at um, the, the dealers because it's free, right? Um, and mercifully, though, they get to have their odometers sort of sometimes entered in, not all the time, but sometimes entered into the uh, into the machine. Um, but the issue with that is that not all of them have the odometer reading, so you need to essentially try and predict what the likely odometer reading is for everybody else. And I think that's what your man's talking about when he's saying correlation. So, for example, it's two months out. That's equivalent to X hundred hours or X hundred kilometers or, or whatever the correct usage metric is that's mm -hmm. guessing that's what correlation means for him yeah yeah and if it was a hundred percent duty from the time it you know got installed um until it either failed or it's still running then that correlation is one-to-one -one. it's an hour of calendar time equals a calendar an hour of operations time okay that makes more sense or if the failure mechanism is relevant on usage so for example corrosion as that's not always the case right but if something corrodes it often Machine, whether the machine's being used or not doesn't affect how quickly something corrodes on that machine. Um, yeah, or UV damage to the surface. Yep, not a good one. Coatings, you know, that kind of stuff. The temperature of it running does does sometimes have an effect there, but we'll 
It does, yeah. Um, it, essentially, everything. Anytime you heat something up, it makes everything go faster. Pretty much. Um, so. <laughs> um, but the the idea was, you know, my my first response was, and I'm surprised you didn't start with this. Is, well, what are you trying to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know what what decision are you trying to inform? How important is it? And my, so I came back with, you know, if the ships and returns data is good enough for you to do what you need to do, why do you care? Um, and then the other end of it is, you know, if this is a million dollar question and you don't have the data, you need to go invest to go get that data. And it could be surveys, it could be customer interviews, it could be, you know, installing tracking devices on these things and recording devices and, and get some sampling of it. So you got a start. If it's really, really, really important, it should have been designed in right from the start, you know, that it's always tracking ops time versus not. Um, that's the real place to start. Well, how important is it? Right. I'm actually, um, and don't get customer surveys as well. Um, you might be surprised how many people, customers um, uh, respond to or question you as a manufacturer, especially if you're trying to say we're trying to work out how to make things better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, actually had an interesting conversation with with someone at Rams. Um, they they were dealing with a, a machine. I won't say what machine it is. Pretty cool machine, but there is essentially a DC converter, a relatively small component mm -hmm. as part of this machine, and he had it down to three options. And he said, well, I've been doing testing with these three different options, and um, all three of them, I've tested them for three times their service life, and one of them failed right at the end, so three times the service life. And he said, well, which one do I pick? And I said, well, which one do you like more? I mean, it's <laughs> if the decision you're trying to inform is, you know, which one do you pick? If you've just worked out and I asked him, are you confident that if your machine fails, it's not going to be due to any one of these three things if you put any one of these three things in there? So no, no, it's clear, each one is going to clearly last, outlast the service life of, of the machine. So, okay, pick the cheapest, the smallest, the thinnest the sexiest what now you're in that wonderful the best supply chain problem right. you know, reputation uh which one gave you the best lunch that was always my favorite criteria <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's where you say okay take reliability off the table it's not you've proven that it's not part of your decision anymore which goes back to your thing you know what are you what's your decision um if if for example um the warranty is often warranty is in months or calendar time regardless of whether it's um, usage or not, or, or it's, it's got a different usage metric in terms of how it fails, then maybe field data is all you need because that's the that's a metric that matters. Yeah. So that's that's the first part. And then, and then it's, well, if you really, really need this data, then either you get better information about how long this, you know, when these things are actually in service and and how many are still operating and and how often, what's the range of variability of how often these things are running? And the surveys is a good way to start. Mm -hmm. um, although it, it's funny, most organizations really don't like an engineer type talking to customers. The, the procurement, or not procurement group, the sales group and the customers groups get really touchy about that. They like, oh, they have, a, I think it's a Dilbert, um, you know, don't let the engineers talk to customers because they'll tell the truth or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, but the idea was um, there's three main buckets that, of uncertainty that you just need to either 
make some assumptions or or if you really need to know it, then go get the data. And it's the, well, when did it get put in service? And I remember working with some teams where it was, we knew that once it left the factory, it was going to be on a boat and then, you know, and then distribution centers and everything else. And we ended up um, getting, you know, notices when stuff was delivered to stores. I think that was when they actually, the, we actually got paid or something like that. So I went and talked to finance and they said, well, you know, for these models, and I knew when they were shipped, uh, you know, week by week, and we came up with about a six week to two to eight week range that from manufacturing to on the shelf. Well, then on the shelf didn't necessarily mean they were sold, but they, the throughput was pretty good. So we we said, all right, once on the shelf, then it's shortly thereafter it sold within a week or so. And so we kind of back of the envelope did and found some core, you know, collaborating data kinds of things to find this stuff. But we searched all over the place for it. Um, one of the guys was doing testing for shipping. Um, he had all these accelerometers and temperature probes and all this stuff that would monitor all through the shipping process. And so he routinely stuck these things in packages and sent them through the shipping channels, various shipping channels, including ships and trains and buses. And he even had a picture of a bunch of product being delivered to a retail store on a rickshaw with great big wooden wheels with metal bands on it. And he said, yeah, we could, see, we went looking for why that was so shock you know, prone that last mile of that delivery. Um, but they, we used that data because we weren't interested in the vibration and temperature and stuff. It was interesting stuff. We needed to know it, but it was more how long did it take to go through UPS or through these different channels. And so we found some data there. We found data um, uh, in spares. We knew that if you, you know, like a generator, if you use it for so many hours, then you need to change the oil and change the oil filter and the oil filter came from, you know, a certain stock of spares that we supplied. And so we could get a, a, a sense of how, how many hours these things were running, assuming that the oil was being changed at the right time to use that analogy. And so we got really creative in lots of ways to go after, well, when did it get put in service? How long was the delay for shipping? That kind of stuff. How often was it actually used if there was a way to tell? And, and then finally is, well, how many are still in service? You know, what's the likelihood that somebody, when they have a problem, will return it or complain about it or just move on and get something else? And so that one was the trickiest ones. The, and the the uh, marketing folks were interested in that. So they we convinced them to go do that study. And it was a couple different product lines. We were able to get that kind of data. And at the end of all that stuff, it rounded off to be about the same answer as ships and returns. <laughs> you know, right. It just, yeah, it wasn't that big of a difference for what we we're trying to do. And, but going back to the customers, I understand that for whatever reason, you know, the BD guys, marketing guys don't like engineers talking. They just don't like engineers, period. Um, but it's, it, you often only need one or two or three, um, you know, responses. You get a pretty, pretty good guess. Mm-hmm. So you get three responses and you say, okay, these these companies tend to use, you know, X hundred hours per 
month or whatever the the right whatever their number is, mm-hmm. then you got something that's pretty useful. Um, you can even if you want to if you want to do the full statistics sort of academic theoretical solution, then you can if you were to get three, you could perhaps fit a curve. Expected to be bell shaped to those three uh, data points and say, all right, so this is the distribution of use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. by different customers. And uh, and off we go. Um, you, you might be surprised at how you know, how impactful that is, especially if, but you know what the decision is. So if the decision is, or the question maybe is, if you're trying to work out if it's more, if your thing is likely to exceed a warranty period or something like that. And even those rough guesses at uh, usage periods or usage rates, I should say, if it if it uh, suggests that your best guess at warranty reliability is ninety nine point five percent, the the worst guess is ninety eight point eight, or the lowest guess is ninety eight point eight percent, the highest guess is ninety nine point nine percent, and your target warranty reliability is ninety five percent, then you're good. You've answered your question. We are you're good. The- yeah, you're done. And the decision is now: Do we extend our warranty period? And, and now you got you know some evidence to suggest you're in, you're good to go. Yeah. But it does come back to um, trying to work out the uh, uh, informal decision. And all, that example of uh, my man at Rams. Sometimes we can get a little bit too worried about trying to come up with a number. We often uh, trained realistically. You have to have a number. You have mm-hmm. to have. An, you have to work out how reliable something is you have two they he had two components which didn't fail and one component which did right at the end but they're all extraordinarily reliable you don't need a number if you can with a a high level of confidence decide that this thing's not going to our machine's not going to fail due to any one of these three things then that's it you don't need a number yeah you're done yeah the um another technique and i'm curious what you think of this idea is that that is a, a a quick test to see if you need better data. And usually I say, try it both ways. Make the assumption that they're, um, you know, all in service and use very lightly. Uh, and the other assumption is they're all in service and they use very heavily, you know, 24 seven. And if making either of those assumptions, does that change anything? And, the only time you need to go get better information is when making the two extreme assumptions doesn't change the answer that you that you're trying to to uh, to inform. Right, and I, I think we're uh, and that might be a a thing you want to do before you start trying to fit curves to customer best guesses and things like yeah. that. Well, then you can do that with like a sensitivity thing. And say, well, right. how precise do I need to be in order to act? You know, adequately inform these decisions. Do I need to know it to the, the to the week, or do I need to know it to the day or to the hour? And each of those has their own attendant investment required to get a good answer. But yeah, I think if comes- you go to the two extremes with any problem, and it's a and it doesn't change the result, the, the what decision you're going to make, you're going to make the same decision either way. You don't need better data. You're done. You got well, enough I mean- data. The other thing you can do in terms of extremes is something similar to Bayesian analysis where you just ask, hey, team, what's your best guesses? Best guess, highest, lowest. Mm-hmm. If you do that across three people or four people or five people um, who are experienced in the industry, you're going to get some pretty useful information. Yeah, there was um, 
I know I've talked about this example before. It was uh, dome switches and a game controller. And I don't know how many buttons are on a game controller. There's all kinds of dome switch buttons. But one of them is to reset it so that it it seeks a new connection to the the console. And typically you do it once until you have to change the battery, I think. Or even then, sometimes you don't even have to re repair it. But if you go to your friend's house, then you got to pair it with that other console, for example. As compared to the trigger button, which I found out wasn't even the most used one. It was one of the other buttons that did other things, and I didn't know enough about gaming. And it, But I went around the room and asked all these people that designed this thing. Right? They're designing these game controllers, and they're most of them were pretty avid gamers. At lunchtime, it was hard to find anybody that wanted to go down to, to the taqueria. They were all in their office playing some shoot 'em up game of some sort. Um, but that idea of just ask them, what's the best guess? And so they ranged all over guesses, of, you know, this trigger and this button would get used a lot. So I figure it's, you know, this much per hour and so on. They came up with the stuff. The little pairing button is like once a month, you know, on average. And so we, then I turned around and looked at him and says, why are you testing every single one of these buttons for 1 million cycles? Because if it's once a month and this product lasts for 10 years for this person that bought it, they're not even going to get over a thousand. <laughs> no, <laughs> come on. Why are you spending three weeks pushing this button in and out to see if it's going to fail or not? And and they all just stopped and looked at me like, huh? What do you need to know that? Because running that automated test still takes a bunch of time and runs through a whole pile of samples and you really don't need to know. And then I hit them with, you know, well, how often do these things fail? And it was almost never. And like, well, why are you bothering? It, these are solid. Don't change it. And, but anyway. The other thing is, is culturally in an organization, if you... What you don't want to have is you want to don't want to have a, a bunch of people who are convinced that ha everything has to be in te tested, you know, with a million of everything before it's declared good. Um, right. If uh, if the simple act of saying, well, this pairing button, you're testing it a million times, we don't need to do that anymore. It just one little incremental step towards convincing people that they only need to focus on the vital few things. Um, and, and so just the simple act of using empowering engineers and designers to use their experience to say, you know what, we don't need to do that. That's a step in the right direction. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. And when it comes back to that, you know, dealing between operations and field time, I think we outlined a handful of different approaches to that. And some, yeah, they're going to take some work. And if it's really, really important, it should be designed in and go forward from there. Uh, everything from surveys and talk, even just a few customers, get a sense of what's going on. Talk to your marketing team and field service people and sales reps and so on. And what's their collective wisdom about how these things are used and so on. Um, you know, and, and in some industries, it's pretty straightforward. People buy one and have one in spares because it's worth doing and it's important to their factory, for example. And others, it's so expensive, we got to get as much money out of it as we can. So we use it three shifts a day, seven days a week, and it's almost always running just because of the nature of the product. But other times it's really unknown. And I, I remember with Inkjet Printers, the marketing team actually went out and, and, and 
I they I didn't really agree with the style they were doing because they were paying customers to collect the data and and giving them free ink. And so I I thought, did you check for bias that if you're getting free ink, you print it more often? And they said, well, and, <laughs> and but they were able to break down the percentages of customers that used it lightly or heavily and did lots of color or did black and white only or did, you know, all these different things. And they had a pretty decent data set for all of that kind of stuff for usage. And it was something for them to figure out, well, are we serving the markets correctly? And, and we knew that we had different failure mechanisms for different usage rates. And so they were kind of separating the markets to create separate products that would be optimized for that particular use condition in operating limits and stresses they applied and so on. But that was for a, you know, multi-billion dollar company that's trying to, to put one more customized device on the shelf um, and, you know, make a hundred million dollars doing it. Well, if you're doing it just for it, for fun, well, that's great. You get to play with your, your numbers, but <laughs> what's, what are you really trying to accomplish? I think that's the heart of it. And then how important is it? And then you have a range of options from some that are pretty straightforward and simple. You need to, you know, collect the information and, and make the best of it. I don't know. Does that sum it up all right? Or did I miss anything there? Uh, I think the main point is what decision you're trying to inform. I mean, we can, we can speculate if you want to understand this, you can do this. These are options or understanding this or guessing that or extreme case this or best guess that. But at the end of the day, what are we trying to, what decision are we trying to inform? Um, yep. Yep. That's where, that's sort of the common thread of our, of our podcast. It seems so questions that we get asked. How do you do this? What are you trying to achieve? Yeah. No, no, I didn't ask that. What are we, how do we do this? Okay. All right. That's well. right. Yeah. No, it's a, you know, if the, the response back, what are you trying to do is, well, I'm trying to brush up on how to do regression analysis. All right, well, here's some sample data, see what you get make out of that. But, but if you've got a question like this or, or, or a question, a different question related to how do you approach something? And um, I think the really great questions that we get are the ones that include, this is why we're trying to do this. This is the decision we're working on. Um, that You get extra points for that. They're not worth anything, but you get extra points. Uh, head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. Uh, Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our about pages on the site. Um, even if you don't have what the decision is related to and give us a, a quick question, we tend to, you know, fire back a couple different responses and hope you get on your way. Um, so we always look forward to those questions. And sometimes they make really interesting podcasts for everybody else. Uh, so with that, Chris, I think we ran out of time for the second question. So I'm, I think I'm going to come back and ask, let you know what the other one was. Looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you later. Cheers, Fred. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.